This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. We are uh, really just getting started in a new series that we're doing to start the uh, year of 2018 called I Choose Jesus. My name is Kevin Simmons. I'm the lead pastor here at Vortex. It's really great to have you on this really cold morning. Um, and, and I promise you that today, this is one of those messages that if you'll just kind of let this sink into your perceptions, it has the potential to really change literally every relationship that you have. But before we get started today, just want to let you know just one thing that's going to start after next week. Uh, every year we like to open up the year with 21 days of prayer and fasting, and it gives us a chance to intentionally pray um, and and seek God as the new year begins. And so uh, next week uh, we'll un- unravel that for you and unroll that. Our our staff is this year doing a modified Daniel fast. If you don't know what a Daniel fast is, it's basically no food um, and no fun. All right, that's really what what it is. Like like you don't eat any meat, you don't eat any sugar, you don't eat any bread, no no coffee, nothing. It's no fun for twenty one days. And, and so we're letting our staff kind of modify that to however it fits their their lifestyles and whatever their dietary needs are this year. Um, but I want to ask you to pray over the next week of something that you can give up for 21 days. Maybe uh, last year we had people who gave up social media for 21 days. We It may be that you give up coffee. It may be that you give up uh, TV. It may be that you give up whatever it is, but that you fast. And the intention of fasting is not simply the discipline of saying no. It's also to create room in your life so that you can pray and seek God. Because as we start this new season and a new year, there's nothing more important than devoting ourselves to prayer. And so we're going to do that. This year, I'm going to do something different. I'm going to give you 10 challenges. And you're going to get a checklist next week that has 10 challenges of prayer. Um, And if you complete all 10 and can honestly say that you did that and sign and verify a document, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 gift card, okay? Um, because I believe that the 10 things I'm going to ask you to do are very, very important, but they're things that you probably wouldn't do on your own. And so if I, we can get our, our church family doing those 10 things for 21 days, it's going to be an awesome, awesome, awesome thing. And so that kicks off next weekend. Now, to take you back to this series, we started this last week, um, really kind of anchoring it in Galatians 5. I shared my personal story over the last year of how I knew that there was something kind of inside me that wasn't right, and God led me to understand that it wasn't just emotions, it was choices. And that's where Galatians 5.1 became very important. So Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. I think it's so remarkable that the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia did not say, stay free, don't get tied up in slavery to sin. 
When he says, don't get tied up in slavery to the law. The law was a system of rules and regulations that told good folks what to do and what not to do. And he says, no, don't get tied up in that, which reminds us that freedom is always connected to choice. Freedom is always connected to choice, and the purpose of the message of Jesus is to set you free so that now you can choose. You can choose literally between sin, and you can choose to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the rest of the chapter is really spent devoting itself to that principle. This is what happens when you choose to follow your sinful nature, and this is what happens when you choose to follow the Holy Spirit. And it kind of wraps up in a verse that we have potentially often misread or misunderstood. It's Galatians 5, 22 or 23, where it says that the Holy Spirit produces. Now, this is when I choose to follow the Holy Spirit, when I make the conscious choice to follow the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Fruit, this is not magic, fairy dust. It doesn't immediately appear. It grows in our lives. The Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Notice that in the very beginning he says don't be tied up to law, but now he's saying there's no law against these things. And I told you last week, I think the biggest revelation that I've ever had is that my life, when I examined it, was so far below that standard. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. And if we're honest for many of us, that's where we are too. God says, this, if, if you make the choice, the constant choice to follow me, if you choose Jesus, choose Jesus, choose Jesus, this is what your life is going to look like. And for many of us, our lives don't look like that. And the reason is, is we haven't chose Jesus. Because when you choose Jesus, you choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Last week, kind of the opening principle of this is that, that when we make spiritual decisions, the choice to follow Jesus, to be led by the Holy Spirit, then what it does is it opens up the door to make other decisions. That when I make that, that decision spiritually to be led by the Holy Spirit, it gives me the ability to choose love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. And then it has immediate ramifications in my physical life. So what I told you we were going to do is for the next few weeks, we're going to examine some of those things that are listed there. Today we're going to look at love. And the truth is, is that if you really want to know what love looks like, we just simply need to look at Jesus. We need to go any further than Jesus. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, speaks a lot of love. John was called the beloved disciple by theologians for centuries. And so he writes a lot about love. His epistles um, the letters that he wrote to churches that are contained later in, in the, the Bible are, are, again, speak a lot of love. And so he, he has some very distinct things to say about it. John 15, 13, recording the words of Jesus. This is Jesus. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. All right, leave that up there. Because there's something important to kind of catch out of this. Number one, no greater love. See, if there's no great, that means that there's different types of love and different levels of love. 
which is why the way that we talk about love is vastly inadequate because the way that we talk about love is with one word. In the Greek, there are three different words that are translated into love, and they all mean different things. And so we read love, but they could be saying a different kind of love. But there's no greater love. The greatest love that could be possible is to give up your life completely for your friends, which is by laying his life down, Jesus showed us that love is not selfish. And when we talk about love, especially in our culture and historically, we've talked about selfish things. What I get out of it, if I talk to a single person, it's most common to hear that I'm looking for somebody that can meet my needs, right? Which is just grossly inadequate to prepare yourself for a relationship. Because how many of y'all that are 40 or 50 recognize that the needs that you have now are different than 10 years ago? So if somebody could meet your needs 10 years ago, it doesn't mean that they can meet your needs now. You get where I'm going? So if it's selfish, it's probably not going to work out so well. So Jesus said this in John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love. This is how it's going to be proven. This selfless love that you give to to the world and to the people, and in the first century this was vast and amazing. It was the catalyst for this movement to get started and become a worldwide movement in just years. Your love for one another will, will prove to the world that you are my disciples, which is where I get this. This selfish love is so unique that it validates the message of Jesus. In a world that is filled with selfish love, when the world sees selfless love, it validates the message of Jesus behind it. So Jesus and Two places in John 13 and 15 says something that's really unique, and I want you to pay attention to it. In John 13, 34, Jesus said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. His audience, which was largely Jewish, would have been very concerned about this. What? You're giving me a new commandment? Who are you to give me a commandment? Moses gave the commandments. Who are you? Well, we now know who he was. And he said, a new command I give you, love one another. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then he echoes that again in John 15, 12, where he says, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. Which lets us know that the love of Jesus is the template for authentic love. The love of Jesus is the template. If you want to know what love looks like, look at Jesus. But if you think about the way we talk about love, especially culturally, it looks nothing like Jesus, does it? It it looks absolutely nothing like Jesus. So kind of to kickstart your notes today, here, here are some words that we use to describe what love is. Love is affection. Affection. Affection can be described as the act displaying feelings or expressing passion, affection. 
affection is hugging, kissing, and the continuum along that physical spectrum. Now, can I ask you this question? Is physical touch, can be it be an expression of love? Yeah. Honestly, yes, it can be. But is it love itself? No. It's not. You are not loved simply because somebody is affectionate with you. And that is a thorough lie that our culture is sold. The second, attention. Attention. Attention could be defined as taking notice or care of someone that you find interesting or important. Attention. And many of us long for the attention of others and the attention of the people that we care for, and we want them to give us their attention, and we want them to put, put the daggum phone down and look at me, right? We, we want that, right? We, we want that. We want their attention. Now, now, is quality time, is that an expression of love? Yes, it is. But is it love itself? No, it's not. Just because someone is willing to spend time with you, just because they're willing to block off portions of their schedule and delegate them to being around you, does that mean that they love you? No, it does not. And here's the word that we more often blow it. And if you're a parent in here, please get this right so that you can teach this to your kids. It's affinity. Affinity. Affinity can be described as naturally liking something or someone. It's that feeling that you have when you meet that guy at a party and you're talking to him and you're like, man, I like that guy. God, I want his number. I want to hang out with him again, right? Or it's that girl that you met, you know, at work and you're like, man, she's so nice. I just enjoyed talking to her. I just, I, I hope every day I get to have that moment and talk to that person. That feeling is affinity. Affinity is naturally liking someone or something. It's having a feeling that draws you to someone. But I want you to listen to me carefully. Just because you have feelings for someone or because someone has feelings for you does not mean that you love them or they love you. And if you're a parent and you don't teach your kids that, you're failing them. Because they will be blown around by the whims of their heart and they will be destroyed because of that. Because love is not affinity, it's not a feeling. So what is love? Well, we're kind of lucky. Because the Apostle Paul wrote, 
multiple letters to this church in Corinth. If you don't know much about the city of Corinth, Corinth was a massive New York-type city in its day. It, it, it was very affluent and very wealthy. The, the letters that are contained within the scriptures are First and Second Corinthians. They're, they're what we know at least out of archaeological evidence, two of four letters that he wrote to this church. He had a very peripheral connection to it, but because of his teaching, because of his influence, he wrote to them a lot because they got a lot wrong. See, Corinth had a massive temple in it dedicated to the goddess of love. Now, you can imagine what happened inside of that temple as acts of worship. So in that city, in their local culture, love was something that they were totally blown up over. They didn't get it. And so he sets them straight in 1 Corinthians 13. It's a chapter that many of you have had read at your weddings, you've heard read at weddings, and and it's just one of those things that we skim over. But I'm going to include today kind of the core of that and show you a definition of love. Let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 13, beginning in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable. It keeps no records of being wrong. It does not rejoice about injustices, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to walk back through in your notes and give you five characteristics of love that come out of that. The first one is that love is consistent. Love is consistent. Now, I don't know about your relationship history, but I can tell you that I had the shortest relationship probably out of anybody in the entire room. When I was in the eighth grade, I asked this girl out. Okay, and I asked her out before third period, and we broke up after fourth period. <laughs> I mean, just, it, that's how quick it went. It blew my mind. Like, we weren't even in the same class, okay? It was like, I saw you before class. I see you after class. Yeah, I think we need to break up. Guys, this is horrible. It lasted 65 minutes. That's it. That's not love. And some of us live in that tension that love can be here and go and be here and go and be here and go. But look at how he opens. Love is patient and kind. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, you put patient and kind together, you get consistent. Love is consistent. And this is the thing. Consistency demonstrates love more than intensity ever could. So let me talk to husbands and parents just for a second, okay? Husbands, this is a place where we blow this. We get one day a year where we try to, through intensity, show our ladies that we love them. What day is that? Valentine's Day. And on Valentine's Day, you spend a couple hundred bucks trying to impress your girl. Right? But what do you do the rest of the year? You just kind of take it off, right? You, you, you pitch in a little at birthday and at Christmas, right? 
but you get really intense at Valentine's Day. Can I just give you a secret? Okay? If you take that $200 that you spent on flowers at Valentine's Day and divide it into six different ways and buy some, maybe not as many flowers, but you show up at work six times throughout the year with flowers walking in in front of her coworkers and setting the flowers on her desk, or maybe the flowers are at home when she gets there at night, I promise you, you get more mileage out of that than that one day. Am I right, ladies? Okay, why? Because consistency demonstrates love more than intensity ever could. You want to know how we blow it as parents? We go, you know what? I got to make a little bit more money because we got to have a little bit more stuff. And so I'm going to work a little bit more overtime. I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be around. I'm not going to be at home. Okay. So y'all just brace yourself the next three or four months. I'm going to be working more because we need more stuff, so I'm going to work more. But here's what's going to happen. At Christmas, you're going to get everything you've ever dreamed of. I mean, you, you're going to get stuff you didn't even know you wanted. Why? Because I worked so hard. Look at all this stuff I worked to buy you. And then in three or four years... You're going to wonder, why, why don't my kids share our family values? Why don't they want to come to church with us? Why am, I, why am I having trouble with them lying and cheating and sneaking around and doing things that they're not supposed to do? Because consistency demonstrates love more than intensity ever could. The second thing you notes out of here is that love is a selfless connection. Love is a selfless connection. It's selfless. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It doesn't demand its own way. How much that should hurt some of us today. If we're honest, it doesn't demand its own way. Which is why I can tell you today without blinking that if it's selfish, it's not love. If it's selfish, it's not love. If it's self-seeking, self-serving, if it's self-oriented, it is not love. Love is not selfish. And then love, love is compassionate. Love is compassionate. Look at, look at what he says. It, it does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Which is where we know that love always cares about what is right, not just for you, but for everyone. Can I, can I speak again to dads? We, we kind of live in a culture, and it's some moms in the room too, but if dad's not happy, nobody's happy. If mom's not happy, nobody's happy. That's not love. That's not love. Because love rejoices when the truth wins out, not when I win out. Not when my perception wins out. Not when I win the fight. Love rejoices when truth wins. How about let's make our families this way. If Jesus isn't happy, nobody's happy. 
think that could change some things. Number four, love is a commitment. Love is a commitment. Look how he ends this. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love never gives up. Love never gives up. Which is why I would tell you, if it's willing to give up, it's not love. If it's willing to give up, it's not love. Because love endures. Love endures. And out of all those, I noticed something that I kind of began this with, that love is a choice. It's not an emotion. It's not a compulsion. It's a choice. It's something you choose. Which is why emotions are so vastly inadequate. Because I can tell you this. It doesn't matter what it is you choose to love. If it's Jesus or your spouse or even your kids, there are just times that emotions run out on you. My son has been sick now for almost three months. It's been a series of everything from ear infections to stomach problems and then RSV. and It's just been a nightmare. There have been some times that he's cried so much that I have not liked him very much. <laughs> just be blunt with you, okay? And if it were all about feelings, I would put him up and sell you five bucks. Just come get him. Like, I don't care, right? I'm done with this kid. But it's a choice. It's a choice. Even when it doesn't feel like it, it's a choice. Love is a choice. So I thought it would be helpful as a part of this message to talk about how that choice works out in relationships. So I'm going to give you the ABCs, which this is where you as, as a pastor, you get to have fun. The, the words and you're filling the blanks all start with A, B, and C. Okay, The ABCs of how to do this, how do you work love into a relationship, Okay, and then I'm going to show you some whiteboards on how this actually looks. All right, the first thing is that you need to acknowledge your limits. You need to realize, again, like Jesus said in the very beginning, that there are different levels of love. That to love my coworker doesn't mean the same as to love a good friend or to love my spouse. There are limits to that love. So the first thing is that we need to acknowledge our limits. The second thing that we need to do to have good, authentic love in our relationships is that we need to create boundaries. We need to create boundaries. And this is where many of us fail because we don't create adequate boundaries in our relationships and it leaves us open to crossing over into things we should never cross over into. And the last thing is that we connect within the boundaries because love exists within the boundaries. Love exists within the boundaries, okay? So let's look at this, all right? There's several ways that we connect. And then we're going to go to a whiteboard here. And let me explain these just so you understand. 
All right, social connection is how we spend time together. This is us hanging out. This is us devoting evenings to going over to somebody's house or them coming over to our house. It is how we connect. Financial connection describes the interactivity of our financial resources. Are you paying for lunch? Are you buying gifts? Are they buying you things? Are you paying for their bills? Those sort of things. How does your the money flow back and forth? Emotional connection represents how we're sharing the things that are happening on the inside of our hearts, okay, our feelings, our our fears, those sorts of things, all right? And then physical connection, this is where probably the only one that we really even talk about. Obviously, this is kissing and hugging and the things that go along that same sort of continuum, all right? And then the last one is spiritual connectivity. This is praying together, doing devotions together, talking about what God's doing in your life. Now, here's the problem. All right, I'm just going to say this for married couples. I go through this with in premarital counseling and in marital counseling almost exclusively. Okay, and I'll point this out. This is how we connect to each other. And I'll sit there at the very end and I'll go, "How you doing with these things?" And almost inevitably, everybody will go, "Well, I think we're we're doing okay with most of these, but I don't even know that we have this." Which is why today there are some of you that go, "You know, I just feel like something's missing in our relationship." Yeah, it's, it's this. It's spiritual intimacy. Because all of these different dynamics represent intimacy. So the question is, next slide, the question really is, how intimate is the relationship? And we're going to put some quantities on this just to give you a visual illustration. Between 0 and 100%, how intimate is the relationship that you share with this person? Let's start off with a coworker. Coworker would be somewhere around 20%. All right, this is a person that you know you have a relationship with at your place of business. You know them, you talk to them. Now, do you spend time with them? Yes, you do. You probably eat lunch with them. You may even talk during breaks with them. All right, now, do you, is there financial intimacy? Are you, maybe, maybe, all right, you might buy some lunch for them. They might buy you lunch. You might buy them a small Christmas present or something like that, but it's not like you're paying their rent, Okay. All right, that's way too far. That's outside the boundaries. Emotional intimacy. All right, well, are you talking about, hey, you know what? I'm having a bad day. Man, you hear about so-and-so, they just wear me out in a day, right? You share things. But can I just be blunt with you? Especially if you're a lady, this is where you blow it. This is where you blow it, right here. Being too emotional intimate or too emotionally intimate with people who do not have the right and have not earned the right for you to be emotionally intimate with them. I sat down with a couple not too long ago, and the wife said, you know, I noticed early on in our, in our marriage that I, I ate lunch with a group of ladies, and every day they would talk about the things that their husbands have done in the last few days that were wrong, that hurt them, and they would describe how, the, how hurt and wounded they were as a result of that. She said, as a result of listening to them do that, I started paying more attention and watching for my husband to screw up and then feeling hurt when he did. Why? Because they were crossing a boundary. Then there's Physical intimacy, you know, you're probably going to side hug your friends. 
at work, right? Probably not go kiss them on the mouth, hopefully, all right? That's probably crossing the boundary, all right? Unless that's your wife and you work with your wife, all right? And spiritual intimacy, all right? We're going to talk about how, did you go to church this weekend? What did the pastor talk about? Oh, it's so good, right? But it's not deep level stuff. But then we move on to a good friend. Now, let me just say this. If you're dating and you're not engaged, this is where you are. Good friend. All right? Moving up the continuum. And can I tell you, I'm going to say this each time. How do you get here? You don't go there, you grow there. Okay? A relationship just doesn't go there. It grows to this point. So now we're spending more time together. We're probably paying for lunch and dinners and buying bigger Christmas presents and birthday presents. And there's a little bit more physical or financial interactivity. Emotionally, I'm sharing more of my heart, but there's still a lot that's reserved and held back for God. Okay? Physically, we're probably a little bit more physically intimate. We're probably doing some front hugs now, right? <laughs> if, you're, if you're girls and your friends, you may kiss on the cheek. If you're guys and your friends, you're probably not kissing on the cheek. Just saying up front, all right? And spiritually, you probably are sharing things that God is doing in your life. All right, that's a big deal. All right, so there's a, but there's a boundary. Now, let me just say this up front. If it's outside this boundary, it's not love. If it's outside the boundary, it's not love at all. Now, the next one is a long-term committed relationship. These are the people who have been together and their intention is to get married. Let me just put it this way. There's a ring on the finger, okay? There's a ring on the finger. There's commitment. There's a long-term intentionality behind that commitment. We're at 80%. We're spending a lot more time together, all right? We're financially probably working towards getting an integrated financial plan. We're spending money on each other a lot more than we were ever before. Emotionally sharing more of our hearts physically again, but we're not all the way. Not all the way physically, but we're definitely have moved up. Now we're we're probably kissing at this point. <laughs> and spiritually, we should be sharing, doing devotions, talking about what God's doing in our hearts and in our lives. And there's marriage. And marriage is a 100% fully integrated commitment. Now, here's the thing. Go back to the one before that. If you have a parent and you have a teenager, we, we've been taught culturally that you can go from right over here at 10 to 15% to here by asking one question and getting the right answer. Will you be my boyfriend or will you be my girlfriend? And if the answer is yes, then all of a sudden we get to go over here. You need to teach your kids that you don't go there, you grow there. You grow to that position. This is earned. That somebody needs to earn the right to hear the deep and dark things that exist in your heart. 
There needs to be consistency. And so I thought what would help is if I actually gave you a definition of love. Look at this with me. Love is a committed choice to constantly give yourself to someone in the most appropriate and meaningful way possible according to the level of connection that relationship represents. Now I'm going to go back through and break that down. Love is a committed choice. It is not a feeling. It's not an affinity. It's not a drawing or a sense or a con- that it's a committed choice. That's what love is. Love is a committed choice to do what? To consistently give. And if you pay attention in the scriptures, the action associated with love is giving because love gives. You know the verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only son because love gives. And what is it that we give in love? We give ourselves. To consistently give yourself to someone in the most appropriate and meaningful way possible. Which means that the way that I give myself to a coworker and to a friend and to a long-term lifetime partner in marriage is vastly different. In the most appropriate, meaningful process, according to the level of connection that is represented in that relationship. There are all different kinds of definitions of love and a lot of writing out there. If you're struggling, honestly, if you're struggling in your capacity to love and be loved, let me recommend a book for you. It's Brene Brown's book called The Gifts of Imperfection. Brene Brown, The Gifts of Imperfection. She does a lot of work research-wise to talk about how we cultivate loving relationships. Also saw another definition of love this week. Look at this one. That true love is when two people lower their standards just the right amount. (laughs) I don't know if you figured that out. That's not love, y'all. That's not love. No, love is demonstrated to us through Jesus. So last week I told you that we make spiritual decisions that enable us to make other decisions. So throughout this, we're going to talk about the decision before the decision. What do I need to do if I'm really going to live in this type of love? What do I need to do? What decision needs to be made first? What's the decision before the decision? What's the spiritual decision that I need to make that unlocks my ability to actually choose love? It's this, real simple, and I believe this is in your notes, that we must choose to love and be loved by Jesus. We must choose to love and be loved by Jesus. Think about it. Has Jesus been consistent with you and compassionate with you? Has he always been there when you needed him? Is he always going to be there when you failed? He has been. His love has been. And you know the interesting thing about choosing Jesus is you didn't choose first. Look at this. I love this. John 15, 16. You didn't choose me. Jesus speaking. I choose you. And I appointed you 
to go and produce lasting fruit. He's already chose you. He's already made the decision to come after you. The only decision that you need to make is to choose Him and choose to be loved by Him and to love Him. Because the second thing in your notes is important. If we don't have the love of Jesus, it's impossible to love others. If we don't have the love of Jesus, it is impossible to love other people. You know, when we choose Jesus, when we choose Jesus, we enable ourselves to choose to love others. And today, and I believe today is that day for some of you. Today is the day that you're finally going to choose Jesus. And you're going to say, I'm tired of living a life that's not loving. and That I've got this wrong. And Some of you, today is the day that you finally say, what if? What if my relationships actually started looking like real love? And I, what if I, I made a decision that from this point on, I will never accept fake love. I will never accept it at all. What if my life is going to be lived within those boundaries and I'm going to experience the freedom of making the choice to follow the Holy Spirit and to say no to things that I could say yes to so that I can experience the love and mercy and life of Jesus? What if? I believe today, man, today is a day of liberty and freedom for some of you. So let's pray. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.